And fuckers, welcome into show notes. We did not have a proper show notes recording last week for video, but we had a stand-in show notes recording on the podcast thanks to the inimitable 99. Hi. Thanks for uh, covering that off last week. Appreciate you. You're welcome. I just figured inevitably you'd come home and not be ready. <laughs> so <laughs> why not Why not help out where I can? I was oh, just sitting around anyway. How you know me. Mm-hmm. Um, well couple of general notes up top before we get into a very, very robust session today. First of all, remember to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. It looks like we're moments away from entering the creator circle based on a minimum number of hours. We just passed 40,000 views, which, you know, isn't terrible, but we need everyone's support to get us over the hump so that we can expand our reach. Also, if you're not yet subscribed to the UNFTR newsletter, then go to unftr.com slash contact and get on it. Here's what's in the newsletter. You ready? We've got headlines from show notes. We've got some brief but original commentary that only appears in the newsletter. A link in summary to the newest pod release. Links to the most recent YouTube uploads. The audience comment of the week, which is a new feature that we're introducing this week. Discounts for merchandise and coffee. Call outs to our favorite books in our bookshop. And uh, basically everything just in one spot for your UNFTR enjoyment. It's maximum UNFTR. And I'm going to correct you because you should go to unftr.com slash blog to subscribe there instead of going to contact. Is that right? Yeah. Doesn't everybody in the contact form get automatically subscribed to the newsletter too? Yes, but then they have to like fill out a form instead of just adding their email address. Oh. Yeah. There you go. More helpful hints from 99. Yeah. And also, if you can help support the show, here are three ways. You can become a member and we'll love you forever and you'll fund our growth and independence. Just click the membership tab on unftr.com. You can buy some UNFTR merch or our native roasted coffee. And you can find that at unftr.com slash shop or unftr.com slash merch for the merch. And the quickest, easiest way and free to <laughs> the quickest, easiest and free way. Can you guys tell I'm reading to uh, help us out is leave us a five star review on the podcast. Yes, please do that. We had a, a new review this week, which yes, is nice. Very long reviews. Mm-hmm. Very thoughtful. We'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, I think you can. I'm um, somewhere on the site. Well, you could figure it out or go to Apple Podcasts and. Leave us a review. Or if you're listening on Spotify, you can leave a five-star review. You can't leave any words. You could leave a review on Podchaser or CastBox or Podcast Addict or Podbean, all the places. Wow. Yeah, that was that part wasn't reading. It sounded very natural. Thank you. <laughs> 99 came into our complex, our compound today, with her almost famous glasses on. And I just love that vision of you. Thank you. They're just the coolest glasses with her blonde curly hair that you can't see. I can give you a strand of it and you can hold it up. Want to do that? <laughs> Cut it off. There's probably one that's going to fall out. <laughs> You're going to get my root in it. Wait. You're going to have to show them that. Don't show them where it's not blonde. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, look how curly this is. Look how good this is. Can we get right up in there? I don't know if it's going to be able to be seen. I don't know if it... Uh, Oh, there you go. Against the backdrop there. That is a strand of my hair. Another angle at it. No, I don't know. Let me just leave that there for. Enjoy it. Yeah, thank you. You can clone me. I appreciate it. I had a very um, 
realizing my age for a couple of different reasons moment this weekend. I had, uh, I'm very bad at growing grass at my home because I won't say because I, I think I just don't tend to it enough, but I refuse to use any chemicals or fertilizers, anything like that. You have dogs, so that's good. I have dogs, I have children, I have a conscience, and I don't want our, you know, I, I don't want to contribute to the Eating paradise. excess nitrogen in our, you know, water supply and stuff like that. And uh, as I was trying to grow my lawn naturally with some new topsoil and some seed and some organic fertilizer, these kids <laughs> kept driving by my house and fucking with me on bikes like it was like straight out of the 80s and then they so they kept making comments like you know you missed a spot mister and i'm like these motherfuckers and i just i had that get off my lawn moment while my back is aching and i'm trying to like shovel topsoil and i just i felt like such an old crotchety man standing on my front lawn with these kids just fucking with me that's funny and for them and for me too I held I held some insults in my pocket, but I was I was ready to whip them out if they yeah, came back it's again. Easy to make fun of a little kid. Yeah, just be like you're bowlegged or something. I don't know. Is that I'd ableist? Probably throw out like a, a really childish mom reference. No. Like what is that? What do you mean? You missed a spot. Your mother didn't. You know stuff like that. You know, try to get into a little fight with these kids. I don't know. I oh. just yeah. No, I'm a child. I'm a okay. child that way. I was but I kept to... I kept it inside, which I think also demonstrate some maturity. Yeah, except you're still talking about it. So. I am. I'm so annoyed by these, these little fucks. Just pay someone to do your lawn like everyone else. I, I Well, I do have somebody come cut it every two weeks. Yeah, don't you have a really expensive... <laughs> not what I pay. They're expensive for other stuff, but not for, for taking care of my little property. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, they're clearly not doing a good enough job. Well, I don't let them do anything. I have another story that just makes me such a If you're man. going to pay these people who are very skilled people. Once you add skilled, layers. Yes, but they're very skilled. They they do like mansions. They do. Yeah. So you're paying them to cut your grass, which just, those kids on the bike could do. Pay them to take care. I have a care. connection to them. So it's just like a minimum thing. I'm probably more of an annoyance. They yeah. probably don't even want to park their trucks in front of my house because it's like bad advertising. Yeah. yeah like we do this guy's lawn. Yeah. You yeah. should let them plant grass. I should, but I won't. Okay. Because I don't trust them to not use bad stuff. I don't know. I think they would only use high quality stuff. We know another guy who makes some good stuff. Can use his stuff. We know a lot of people. I always buy that guy's stuff. That's good. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the only other thing that I'm, I'm really super excited about, and I'm, I'm kind of I guess I, I'd love to see it in a double shot, but I have to wait till September. Is Equalizer 3 is coming out. Big Denzel fan. Okay. Big Equalizer fan. So now I've got John Wick 4 that I haven't seen yet in Equalizer 3. If I could do like a full day double shot and just sit in the theaters and watch both of those, I'd be the I'd be such a happy guy. I don't even, what is Equalizer? Denzel's, this is the third installment, final in the series, so they say. I don't know. I mean, the word, it's not like it's a foreign word to me, but I don't know anything about it. He's just a ruthless, like, assassin, former operative for the U.S. government, retired, but keeps finding trouble He's somehow. too old for this shit. The trouble finds him. He's too old for this shit. Gotcha. Yeah. So what, good. What did I watch? I watched, well, you didn't watch this, you're saying. No, it's, it's not out okay. until September, but I just saw the trailer before we came in here. And oh, like, well, you had to talk about it. Yeah. So excited. What did I watch this weekend? I watched Hamilton, you know, 
for the thousandth time. Can't, you just can't go wrong. Yeah. Uh, there was something else I watched. What did I watch yesterday? I love Manny Face's full, like, arrival at a place where he appreciated Hamilton, finally seeing it. Because he was just, he had heard it and was like, that's not hip-hop. Everybody should stop calling it hip-hop. And we were like, no, it's not hip-hop. It's a show. Yeah. Hip-hop style. Yeah, There's I don't, homage to hip-hop. I don't think Lynn would be like, this is true <laughs> hip-hop. You know, he gets it. Yeah. He's my boyfriend. He is? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, don't tell his wife and children. Well, secret safe with all the unfuckers, right? He does all the best. He did Moana, music mm. in Moana, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorites. Encanto, so good. Um, my wife saw In the Heights live when it first came out, when mm. it was first performed in the city, and uh, she was transformed. She said, I've never seen theater like this. This this is different. This is new. Yeah. It's pretty cool. He's, I just love him. Yeah. He's a little cutie. All right. We have a ton of shit to get to, like a ton of shit. So we'll try to do it as quickly as we can. First off, in case you were wondering what the Republicans have been up to, I did a little digging because, you know, they, other than the culture war stuff, they've been, they've been kind of quiet. And I'm talking, I'm not talking about the commentators or pundits or anything like that. I'm talking about like the actual elected Republicans. And it turns out they've got a couple of acts like ready to go, like a couple of really big bills. One of them is called the Default on America Act. And my note says, read the printout because I actually put whole notes in there and printed it out. And then I didn't bring it into the studio with Hmm. me. But uh, I left a link actually to a, uh, the Democrats in the Senate kind of like outlined what it's all about. But then I found it, but we don't need to read it out because then I found out that it's kind of part and parcel of this grand sweeping plan that's laid out by Kevin McCarthy uh, in the proposed Limit, Save and Grow Act of 2023. So this is not an official bill. It hasn't been introduced yet. But basically, this is just them cobbling together all of these sorts of initiatives that they want to put into one giant bill. One of them relates to the Default on America Act, which is how they're going to hold up the debt ceiling. Uh, essentially, in case they, you know, uh, you know, because they're they need their demands met. Well, here's what they're they've been busy doing. It's a 320 page bill that details what Republicans have been doing since taking control of the House, other than the committee hearings on wokeness and culture war issues and Hunter Biden's laptop. Mm-hmm. Here are some of the salient points. It puts limits on discretionary spending. So this is all part of the debt ceiling fight where they essentially will limit the non-mandatory parts of the budget, which is, you know, usually where you find all of, you know, sorts of the programs that impact us uh, on, a, on a daily basis. But of course, doesn't include any cuts to military spending, repeals all green tax credits, cuts, I mean, guts the funding to the IRS, creates work requirements for SNAP, which is formerly food stamps. It also creates work requirements for Medicaid. And there is uh, an estimate from one of the um, the think tanks that looks at the budget and, and looks at proposed amendments and, and things like that and, and basically estimates what the impact would be. And this would actually impact one out of five recipients of Medicaid would just kind of be thrown off Medicaid altogether and they would lose uh, food benefits. But the most expansive part of it is, of course, energy independence, even though we are already energy independent and there are tons of ocean, open water and land leases that are that have yet to be drilled and and used. They're just going to create more permits for ocean drilling, for land drilling, for anything, any drilling and mining activity that you can imagine. It's actually a very expansive part of the act. So more mining, more drilling, 
more destruction of natural resources. And that's it. That's pretty much the sum total of it, which is really interesting and kind of leads into what our show is going to be all about for this weekend. Tentatively. Tentatively, of course. Um, I actually have enough done on it where I can confidently say that this is what it's going to be about, uh, which is to say that it's going to be a little bit of a departure. So it is going to be more like a true classic essay and thought piece than it is a, you know, some of the uh, sourced material and research material on any one definitive, you know, new idea or economic issue or, you know, societal issue as we usually do. I just sort of felt like the need to pause and think about where we are, which is kind of where my head's been at for the past couple of weeks. And then all the recent breaking news has only helped me double down on that, which we'll get into in a little bit. So that's what the uh, show is going to be about this week. It's going to be a departure. It's going to be sort of a, um, a discourse on the lack of intellectualism and new political thought in the, in the country that has kind of, I think, been been the standard for, let's say, the past 50 to 70 years. So anyway, I'll be opining on that this weekend. And uh, forgive me if it falls flat and doesn't really have the impact that I'm, I'm intending it to, but hopefully... All the words will come together and it will come out well. So we'll see. Now in headlines, <laughs> what's the first one that we have here? There was, there's something about uh, somebody, somebody's running for president. Is that right? Yeah. Marianne Williamson. Marianne Williamson is running for president. So she announced, but that doesn't seem new 99. Um, I think she's been out there for a few weeks, right? Oh, I think you're thinking of uh, RFK, right? Junior, Robert Kennedy Jr. Hmm. No, I'm thinking of RFK Sr., not running. Did run, not running. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Is there anybody else that jumped into the Democratic field? Maybe maybe it's the Republican side. I'm racking my brain here. You know what? I, I have it listed here. Hang okay. on one second. It says here. Oh my gosh. Joe Biden. Do you remember him? Hey. Hey. He's that old senator, right? Yeah, that hates black people. That's right. That's right. Well, Joe Biden running for re-election with Kamala Harris. Uh, is this surprising? I was kind of surprised. Is that a naive of me? I, I, is it surprising? I No, it's not surprising. Is it, uh, it, it's almost like sort of inevitable. It's just, it's, but it's absurd. I think I saw one poll mentioned that there was like 70% of Americans do not want him to run for president again. But no alternative stepped up on the Democratic side. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Marianne Williamson. I'm not taking even anything away from RFK. Like, these are people who have legitimately stepped up. I think my bigger issue, beyond the fact that they're not my cup of tea, and I'm sure I'll get flack from progressives about Marianne Williamson. No, no, no. She's not a good person. I don't think she's a good person, but you see that on the left wing echo chamber of progressive commentators, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people coming forward to stand up for her and her right to run and all of that. Kind sure. Of stuff. She has a right to run. Anyone has. I can run when I'm of age. Anyone has a right. Mm -hmm. But her rhetoric is deceitful. She pretends to be progressive, but she's actually stands against everything progressives believe in. Talk I, to me. I mean, I'm not an expert, but what is her? What's the book she preaches called? You know, her fucking book. Her spirituality thing. Yeah, whatever it's it is. it's all. I mean, it's everything you find in any of that. It's it's anti-gay. It's it's very. You know, it, I just everyone should go listen to conspirituality. Um, they talk about it a lot. Let me find 
the most recent episode they did that was really while um, you're looking that up i'll say that one of my issues is the lack of a professional political class in this country I am not one of those people that believes that outsiders are the best ones that are suited for this particular role. There are so many roles that are kind of built for outsiders to come into. I mean, before somebody holds elected office, they are theoretically an outsider. But I think that it's so important to cultivate a dynamic political class in this country. And one of the arguments that I'm going to be making this weekend as a as a primer is the fact that uh, you, you have to be really good at this in order to get things done. You have to understand this system. You should be schooled in the classics of political thought and theory. When you have an outsider who runs as a pure outsider, you don't necessarily get a Donald Trump, but you get somebody who's as ill-equipped as a Donald Trump to run the country. Marianne Williamson no, has, no more has the requirements to run this country than I do and certainly has no more requirements to run than than RFK or anybody else that's on that's that that's thinking about this. I don't like this idea, especially when it's so important for us to have progressives who are challenging Biden and challenging establishment Democrats, whether they win or they don't. The idea is to birth ideas in the in in the public and in the mainstream so that these things can ultimately be mainstreamed into the political vernacular. Somebody like Marianne Williamson is not gonna get that done. I'm not against anybody running for president, but the fact that, that these are the choices makes it almost kind of a joke. They're not gonna get the money. They're not gonna get the, the any, they're not gonna rile the base up. You think about how long it took Bernie Sanders to build a following and a coalition. It was decades prior to Occupy, and by then he was able to amass a ground game and donations and the small dollar donations, but as part of a political apparatus and network working within this establishment and many of the ideas that we see now that have been mainstreamed that are super, super popular that you can claim as part of Biden's success have been from the Bernie wing of the party. And that's how you build this cult of personality into something that is tangible and real. When you bring in a pure outsider, it almost detracts from progressive ideals. Let's say for a second, we're gonna get uh, some info from 99 here, but let's say that Marianne Williamson was an outstanding progressive mind, like let's say a Jill Stein from the Green Party, who also did not have a coalition and have a broad base of support to mainstream and, matri and matriculate these ideas into the public consciousness. Well, a Marianne Williamson, even if she was the greatest progressive advocate in the world, isn't going to be able to do that either. And now she's got this whole cloak of, you know, spirituality and self-help and almost like this, this secret style, you know, the, the universe will deliver to you, you know, whatever it is that you sort of ask for, so long as you have a positive mindset. Politics is not pseudoscience. It is a science. And that's, again, that's that's just a primer and, and kind of where I'm going. And I think why I'm a little bit annoyed about how this is all unfolding. But anyway, 99, what were you going to say about the uh, conspirituality? Um, yeah, this was episode 148. I'll, I'll read the description because I feel like it uh, it'll entice you to go listen and educate. So it says, is Marianne Williamson's promotion of A Course in Miracles any more relevant to her political persona than Biden's Catholicism? If it demonstrably informs her every instinct and communication, as we expect it would given she sermonizes out of it every day, then yes, it is. 
if it leads her to suggest that meditation can help contain nuclear waste, divert hurricanes, hear the, quote, scam of clinical depression, or, quote, boost the immune system against COVID-19, then yes, it is. Is it sexist to highlight Williamson's reported history of interpersonal abusiveness when male politicians get away with far worse? There is definitely a double standard to resist, but when a candidate builds a political persona on being a love and light way shower, it's important to evaluate what that actually looks like ground level. It's also important to consider whether immature behavior might be a plausible outcome of following the Jesus of A Course in Miracles, who is a huge asshole. Finally, if Williamson is the only candidate out there talking about reparations and Medicare, Medicare for all, is it reactionary to dismiss her on religious or behavioral grounds? Not if you're actually interested in a functional progressive politic free from magical thinking and charismatic bafflement. There you go. So what, what is this? Uh, she doesn't believe in is she some, like this is Scientology kind of stuff where she's not she doesn't believe in clinical depression. Uh, I wouldn't I mean, I wouldn't say it's as far as Scientology, but I'm basically A Course in Miracles is sort of akin to I'd say m not exactly, but akin to like the secret. So, right. you know, basically you're at cause for whatever you do and you know if you believe it you can do it and jesus can help you but this yeah, jesus this isn't the bullshit. real jesus we don't have time for it yeah We've got real problems in the world we don't have time for this fucking pseudoscience yeah. we don't listen to this episode it was really good and um and we're gonna stack her pseudoscience on top of rfk pseudoscience <laughs> the fact you know that and i understand there, you know, a few years ago, you would have caught me in some very similar lines of thinking about we need to study science, we need to study uh, vaccinations, we need to study the over medication of very young children, the misdiagnoses that we have, the very quick to label in order to get services, which leads to non-pharmacologists providing drugs to small children without understanding what they're giving them, you know, the effects of toxins in the environment on uh, behavior on uh, long-term health what you know I I can have all of those conversations I think with some sort of reason and and rational you know discussion without you know just all of a sudden saying that we shouldn't be vaxxing anybody or this is what's so what's going to happen is all the legitimate discussions about peer review and science and making sure that money doesn't influence the outcome of, of studies all those rational discussions are going to go out the window because now progressives are going to be painted with the secret brush that, you know, meditation can cure clinical depression and uh, that all vaccinations should be questioned. So you're going to have some Republicans that are going to be like, hey, maybe I should switch to Democrat so I can go into this primary to vote for what these people think about. I mean, they will do more to destroy the progressive brand than having a progressive candidate mount a serious offense and lose in a primary, but with the ability to at least influence the outcome of the general election by forcing the establishment to at least listen to the demands of the progressive caucus, which means to me, for my money, for this next election, I hope Biden just runs the table that the primaries are over super fucking early that like these ideas don't surface right i don't i don't like i don't think she's gonna get enough support i just i don't either especially there's no way that we're gonna support her more than we supported hillary who actually had experience you know right. like she doesn't have she's just not qualified in as that i think way. we've said before perhaps the single most experienced candidate to ever run for yeah, the executive, you know, 
everything else about her aside. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, I am not like I don't fear her, but I implore people to do their due diligence because right. this shit is insidious. Yeah. And, you know, it's a slippery slope. That's why I'm I'm, you know, my uh, what are they called? Hackles on a dog. Like my hackles go up when I hear about sh- like this conspiracy type of shit, because you read one thing and it gets in your mind and then it, it really is. It's just like. It engulfs people, mm-hmm. and that's it's a slippery slope to cue. It really is like it is. It's it's an illness. They don't know how to not. They don't know how to take people out of these scenarios. Once you're so deep in it, it's like you can't undo it. You can't unring that bell. I <laughs> so think you have to, I guess, assume with all the information that we have available to us at this very moment that if it is a Biden Trump, you know, run again, isn't it going to be Biden DeSantis? Uh, I mean, the money on the Republican side and the polls and all of that suggests that it is absolutely Trump. Again, what? with the current information, he's dominating DeSantis in the polls. DeSantis, that's outside up. of Florida, has been performing disastrously I mean, among Republican donors, good. and and which is good, you know. But not. In I the think other I heard way. it was uh, David Pakman made the argument recently that DeSantis is in a an impossible spot for what he has cultivated as his persona because he started out as the super mega supporting governor under Trump's umbrella. You can't out mega him to the magas. So remember, we're talking about the primary season. True. He'll never out mega Trump. But then if he all of a sudden reverses course and goes, I'm a legitimate Republican with some sort of values and ideas, and I want the Florida experiment to be you know, all over the country, well, then you have to start walking back some of the things that trigger the MAGAs the most. And you got to go towards where the Republican donor base wants him to go. And he and that's that's gone already. That's not available to him anymore. So now that's where a Glenn Youngkin comes into play and looks like the rational alternative to these other two people. Could he play the spoiler in that? I don't even know. But could he even, you know, get enough of a big base of support? He could probably get the donor support in order to mount a challenge against somebody like Trump. But DeSantis is in the worst spot of all of the potential candidates, which is probably why he hasn't, you know, actually announced. Because mm. this tour is going very terribly. For I him. know, but if Trump is unable to run for, <clears throat> you know, reasons we hope are happen, then what? Is, is he not? I mean, he'd have to, I think he, at this point, he'd have to be actually in prison. To, to not be allowed try. to run, right? He'd still try. Is it illegal to run for president from prison? I don't know. Hard to campaign. I feel I like don't know Tiger King would have tried. For president? Yeah. Mm, like if in prison, he would have tried mm. to run. Mm. I didn't know that he had those type of aspirations. He's uh, an unwell person. Oh, well. <laughs> well, for, you know, mm-hmm. on a lot of different fronts. <laughs> um so that's why I see the job as essentially for progressives the next time around, assuming all things being equal right now, and obviously it'll shake out over the next two years. If it is a rematch, the job, I think Biden carries it just out of exhaustion and nobody else knows what to do. And I think Trump has lost a significant base of support within the general election Republican uh, sentiment. The job is to continue building a coalition of progressive candidates on the ground that is in statewide races. So you've got next year for so whatever your uh, whatever the run is in your particular state, 
got to stay active, got to stay engaged, and you got to get progressive candidates on the ballot in within your state. Go back to our constitutional amendment, uh, you know, the um, Convention of States episode that we did about how the Republican long-term strategy is to take over enough states that they can just rewrite the Constitution on their own. That's still very much in play. That's still very much a part of the Republican strategy. And if you listen to Steve Bannon, Steve Bannon is just like full speed ahead. Like this, this just does not alter anything for somebody like him. Because while everybody's busy looking at the top, on the bottom is where the, on the ground rather, is where the work is getting done. So we have to be cognizant of all that. And then when it comes around for the actual election period in two years, we just have to fill Congress. We have to fill the House with enough progressives. Who's to Phil Congress? You don't know Phil Congress? No. He's a great candidate. He's a terrific candidate. So that's the job what ahead of us. What if Biden dies before? I mean, he is a thousand. A I hate thousand. To, again, I hate to be ageist, but good Lord, he's 80 now. I mean, he's okay. He would be 82 if he took over 86 when he realistically 80 is not that old, but he's an old 80. Yes, that's what I was. Which so like is shocking for how like in shape this guy is. Yeah. Like like I said, like my grandpa was 100 and like at 80, Amazing. he was like old my whole life. And like I see pictures of him now and I'm like, that was him at 75. He looks 30. You know what I mean? So like 80 is really not that old. He just is not well. So but if he dies, you think Harris is going to run? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's how it would stack up right now because nobody else is, is coming up. It's, it's insane. It's bananas. It's bananas. Bananas. By the way, yes, I am cheating. For those of you looking on YouTube, I am drinking a Starbucks right now because I did not. I am through with my Unfuck Your Afternoon blend, which is what I had this morning. And 99 came to the rescue. So, yes, I am. I am cheating. And we know they're bad. Sorry. It's either that or yes, Duncan, and we live in New York. I'm not going to fucking drink Duncan no. unless uh, unless there's a gun to my head or there's no other Starbucks. <laughs> it's gasoline. It's not even coffee. It's disgusting, Duncan. Wow! Duncachino! It's not Al anymore. It's Dunk. Duncachino? Don't mind if I do. What's my name? Duncachino. It's a whole new game. Duncachino. You want creamy goodness? I'm your friend. Say hello to my chocolate blend. This whole trial is out of sight. They pull me back in with hazelnut too. Caramel swirl. I know it was you. Everyone wants my Dunkachino. Can't get enough of my Dunkachino. Kids from 7 to 17. Lining up for my Dunkachino. What's my name? Dunkachino. Dunkachino. We got Duncan fans out there. I'm sure we have enough Duncan fans out there that be mad at that. But it's just, it's not you coffee. You know it's what you're else. drinking. It's something else. Are you drinking it black is the question. Like, we drink our coffee black. That's right. Not elitist. I'm not saying we're better. But I'm just saying, sure, if I put a bunch of shit in my coffee from Duncan, it tastes a lot better. That's right. But black Duncan coffee tastes. God, I think about it. I used to have Duncan light and sweet the three times that? a day. It was just it was this much sugar in a cup and just that much milk. And it was just, I, it's, I had a lot of, I had Farts. a lot of health problems that resulted from that. I, I really did. to drink macchiatos. Like mm-hmm. that was my favorite. And then <laughs> eventually I was like, there's too much milk in this. And I'd be like, can I get a quad macchiato? Like a tall, a tall macchiato 
quad. So like four shots in a tall cup with ice. And eventually just so like, I just wanted the coffee. And then I was like, why am I drinking? Why shouldn't I just drink black coffee? That's when I switched. So it was being like $8 for a coffee because it was just espresso shots. Not to mention you and I have the fastest get out of their orders. Drives me crazy when people, you know, they're like, can I get one too? And it's some fucking, you know, whipped tri-vente with a swirl of cinnamon and like, stop. I have no problem, you know, drink your fun drinks, that's fine. Just have a separate line. Have them on your own, that's it. No, have a line that's just drip coffee or iced coffee. Because drip coffee, you get it at the register. Iced coffee, I still have to go to the end of the bar Mm. and I have to wait with all the other people. And I'm like, just put my fucking ice in a cup. I'll go back there and pour it myself. I don't don't need anything else. Just have a separate bar at the end. Again, first world issues, we know, but Duncan's not coffee. Howard. All right. Right, that's his name? Yeah, Schultz. You hear that? He sucks. And I thought he was, I used to think he was actually pretty terrific years ago, but he just sucks now. Well, is that when you were a Republican? Uh, <clears throat> even after that, I just wasn't paying attention. Mm, okay. So uh, big news that happened uh, right before we came on is uh, the passing of Harry Belafonte at the age of 96. That is sad news for the world. The gentleman who popularized Caribbean music, at least in the Western world. Um, who became a supreme activist who was always, always on the right side of history, has left. The link that we're going to put into show notes is actually from The Root. Uh, the headline is Black Twitter Celebrates the Life and Legacy of Harry Belafonte. So uh, rest in power, Harry Belafonte, and you will be missed. That is Stop true. saying rest in power for white people. It's not for white people. It's not. It's just not. (laughs) I don't care if they were a good person or an activist. It's literally not for white people. Right. Sorry. It makes me really mad every time. No problem. (laughs) And I'm going to quote an old piece to talk about the Tucker Carlson news. And this was actually shared with me from uh, a, a mutual friend of me and 99. The quote is, in October, the most recent munch, month for which data is available. You said munch. Munch. <laughs> uh, the most recent munch. You thought I was feeling you? No. That uh, munch. The eater, he ate it for lunch. My body, I get what I want like. You thought I was feeling you? No. That uh, munch. In October, the most recent month for which data is available, Carlson's 9 p.m. Eastern Time program was the top cable news show. Wait for it among Democrats in the advertiser coveted age range of 25 to 54. So why that headline and not Tucker Carlson summarily ousted at Fox News or any of the other headlines that are out there? Um, Because Tucker is going to move on and probably become an independent platform man. The reason I say that is because He's already done the MSNBC thing. For those of you that have forgotten, that is where he reemerged after kind of living in, I would say, media purgatory for a few years after the Crossfire years. I think it was Crossfire that he was on, right? Where Jon Stewart skewered him. Uh, uh, I don't know. Was I six when it happened? (laughs) He was on with uh, Paul Begala. And that's uh, the famous clip when Jon Stewart went on and, and basically called them both terrible and told them to, you know, quote, do better. Uh, and you're killing the world and how how true it was then and prescient it would be. And then Tucker just kind of went on a, a revenge tour for the remainder of his career up until this point of, uh, you know, shitting on all things that you would consider progressive, liberal, democratic or whatever. 
So now supreme racist and now we know liar Tucker Carlson is out. One of our one of our muses, one of our favorite guys is out at Fox News. But what does this data tell you from October that he was trusted among Democrats as well? So something about his message transcended Fox News. His numbers. So there's a couple of arguments and a couple of theories here, and maybe we'll talk more about this. We'll we'll put together a quick episode on this. But Tucker's numbers were greater than O'Reilly's. You know, he so he took over a massive audience, and then he grew it from there. So it stands to reason that some of the people that came over to him were not just the standard Fox News, um, you know, aficionados there. So he did he was able to do something that a lot of the other hosts haven't. And that is to increase the Fox brand within a particular time slot, but associated with his ideas that were specifically his and sometimes an outlier on the channel. So he has a better shot, point being, of creating an independent platform that is bigger than what we have seen before. He certainly has the means he will certainly be able to find the backing for it because even though he lost high profile sponsors and advertisers in his time slot, he has the ability to cozy up to all of the dastardly billionaires that we know that are out there that fund these type of endeavors. So Peter Thiel, I'm sure, will, you know, put the red carpet out for him. The Wilkes brothers will be right there along with him. And what he could amass as in, you know, compared to a Ben Shapiro, for example, who grew out of organically out of, you know, touring the country and, you know, putting up YouTube videos of him challenging college students that weren't prepared to argue with him. He could actually create a platform that is more sizable and maybe more relevant. But at the same time, it will never approach the broad mainstream base of a Fox News. So will he be more dangerous? My argument is yes. And I have just at this moment decided that we'll do a small piece on it so I don't go uh, too far because I think he's I think Tucker in the wild is more dangerous than Tucker on a platform did you know he was on Dancing with the Stars he was on Dancing with the Stars <laughs> thankfully I didn't and wouldn't know that but ew. I didn't either I saw it last night and I just googled it to make sure it's real and it is he I was, hope he lost he early. was eliminated in the first week first week asshole I can't wait to watch it God, what a jerk and that means that means on fuckers, he's going to be on The Masked Singer sooner. Actually, no, it's a Fox property, so they probably won't let him on. But if he's on The Masked Singer, I will fucking die. I mean, the fact that he was let go by Rupert Murdoch directly, that he was not allowed oh, to the come very, back on. The very woke Rupert Murdoch. Yes. <laughs> fucking Marjorie Taylor Greene being like, he's too woke. And I'm like, oh, my God, you fucking lunatic. That's what happens when you try to, you know, outright the right. And you just you have to get you have to get nuttier and nuttier in order to do it. And this is this is where we're at. I think him and Don Lemon should do like the odd couple reboot. Oh my God. That's the other guy. Don Lemon. Oh, did you see Nate Silver's out too? From I don't know. 538? That, I don't know who that is. Nate Silver is the a black pollster. hair. What's that? The guy with the black hair? Thinning. Uh maybe, oh. maybe balding. Maybe he started out with full black hair. I have no but, idea then. Uh Nate Silver became uh kind of a media darling starting 538 was the poll uh organization that basically provided all the I would say the best polling for a lot of the big races over the last, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years or so. So he's sort of like a media darling. They got bought out by Disney. And in this round of layoffs at Disney, 
uh, they sacked him. So all the media owns 538. Yeah. That's so weird. Isn't it? Yeah. It's very strange. So the founder of it is now been ousted by Disney Corporation. Okay, so the three of them, they can do the odd throuple. Yeah, so, yeah, he can just sit there and poll whose ideas are better between Don. Honestly, I would watch that. Yeah, maybe maybe once or twice. A bunch of disgraced people. The odd throuple. Credit 99 on that one, by the way, because I, I steamrolled right over that, but that was, that was really great. The odd throuple. Thank you. Brilliant. So, yeah, fuckers out. Fuck him. Just remember, there are Democrats that think he uh, he's you know, he's the guy. The other thing is the the whole this whole toxic masculinity thing. So whatever that guy who's the guy that got caught for um, <laughs> just end of sentence. I know. Jesus, let me so many let me pull my list out. Uh, Tate, Andrew Tate. Oh, yeah. Uh, the guy that Greta got. <laughs> and he's still tweeting from prison like, I am strong. I am stronger than you. I eat three raw steaks a day. What can you do? F word. Such an asshole. But he he tapped into that, again, that white, angsty male. I don't think it's just white, honestly. Wait, you, Andrew Tate? Yeah, I think it's pervasive across just young men at a certain age. Yeah, well, they're not. So it used to be the, uh, what do you call it? the The incels, mm-hmm. right? Then it went over into the the toxic males. And then, so yeah, there, it's more than just the incels and then the the outwardly toxic, you know, bros. I think it's it's actually, if you're going on like a, if we're, if we're charting the path, like the toxic male comes first. The incel, like the incel is worse than the, to- the toxic male. I think you can undo toxicity. You can't undo incel. Why? Because you've been undoing mine for the for the last couple of years. Yeah. You Am just I proof? Educate. You know, <laughs> Maybe, some people yeah. are misinformed. They're not raised, you know, with an open mind. They're or, raised wrong. Like those yeah. fuckers that keep cycling by my house and yelling at me. No, they were raised right. That's hilarious. It's you hilarious. should make fun of an old white man it's doing hilarious. his lawn. When I when I start throwing shit back at him, we'll see we'll You're see what they're made be of. Throwing shit at them, right? Or shit. I did think about just throwing one over my shoulder and that would have landing been on him. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So along that spectrum from incel to toxic male to, to all of it, there are going to be so-called Democrats, I guess, swept up in it somewhere. Oh, yeah. Right? It doesn't preclude you from being like thinking that people should have, you know, Medicare for all should doesn't preclude you from like thinking women are equal. See, Okay, well, that's fair. I guess the reason I was surprised by it is that my assumption of what Tucker brought to the Fox table was to woo the libertarian strain of the uh, of the country over into under the Fox umbrella. You know what I mean? Okay. Because he Tucker was certainly the libertarian voice of the entire channel. So you've got these stalwarts like Hannity that strictly go down the party line. Then you've got Laura Ingram that goes down the party line. All of those those people pretty much just saying what's on the page mm-hmm. and putting their own little shitty spin on it. Whereas Tucker kind of brought in the, that whole libertarian mindset. I, I still, I'm struggling to figure out where the Democratic crossover would be. I don't know. It doesn't know. make sense to me either. Also, sorry for saying preclude when it's preclude. I put, I switched the letters. Did you say preclude? I did. I said it twice. The first time oh. I was like, that sounded wrong. And then I said it again. I doubled down. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's definitely wrong. So 
I know better. I apologize. Uh, well, you typically do know better as opposed to all the mispronunciations that I have. I've been, I think I've been mis mispronouncing bona fides. I think it's bona fides. Sure. Oh, hey, we have somebody to correct me on. We have out, we have an in-house linguist, BSAG, be sagacious. Bona fides, bona fides. What do you prefer? It's bona fide. I don't care if, if the other one is, you'll just sound dumb. I just want to know which one is correct. I don't think it matters. You think I say reservoir wrong, but I don't. Well, you say it French. <laughs> this is America. Speak English. English. <laughs> Why? What is wrong with you? What? That was so racist. You just mispronounced English. Did you do that on purpose, 99? No, it's how you say it. Oh, my God. Speak English. English. A-N-G-L-I-S-H-J. <laughs> Anglo-ish. Yeah. All right. All right, so that's all the, the headlines. We got one for Biden, we got one for Harry Belafonte, and then we got one for Fucker, but has nothing to do with his uh, his early retirement, has everything to do with the surprising fact that he has a lot of Democrats on his side. Now, with that, let's get into emails. 99, kick us off. Dan H. said, oh, these are specific to our uh, tax haven episode. So, Dana, Dan, Dane H. <laughs> Fucking Christ. <laughs> Whatever your name is, said, thanks for another great episode highlighting how the world is tilted to advantage those that have the most. I wanted to send in a question that I actually sent into another podcast I listened to. Yes, I'm cheating on you. Mm -hmm. uh, it was relevant to your discussion. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Is there an alternative model to funding media besides the models of for-profit, state-run, and non-profit slash contributor funded, which is basically independent media like you all? First of all, Dan H., who are you cheating on us with? And I'm very curious to hear who it is and what their answer is. Let us know. So is there an alternative model to for-profit, state-run, or contributor-funded? To my knowledge, no. To my knowledge, no. So I think then the question becomes, and, and, and I'm talking about historically as well. Let me give you this caveat. We've said this before, but I don't think we've talked about it for actually quite some time. So there's this idea that there was some sort of uh, golden age of journalism, and I am not of that belief system. I do believe that there was a very brief period in during the Watergate era and surrounding it when things sort of aligned in the for-profit media world and before the internet and social media and all of the other ways that we had now amplify the news. And it was after the independent billionaire owner regime, but you did have very wealthy individuals who owned these and or corporations that owned the major media outlets in the country. So we're talking about from the, let's say mid to late sixties through the early eighties. To me, if ever there was a golden era, it was that because the monetary incentives to be more truthful, more honest, and more patient were fully aligned at that moment. So leading up to that moment, you've basically got the era of major broadcast owned by major corporations and probably not a lot of really good investigative journalism going on but very good dissemination of core information that everybody needs to know because every, there were very few options out there. So you've got the era of the very big networks controlling and disseminating information that was predominantly meant for a 
you know, majority white audience to get the news that was important to them. So, you know, minority reporting outlets were not a thing in true investigative journalism, anything that would threaten the corporate state or be anything that was counter to the government narrative, not really a thing. And then in on the newspaper side, which was as important, if not more important, because a lot of times what you saw the broadcast outlets reporting on was what was being reported in the in the journals. Those were usually owned by billionaires who had agendas. And we've talked about this before at nauseum. So you've got the, you know, the classic example of the Spanish-American War essentially being ginned up over a subscription fight between Pulitzer and Hearst. I mean, that's just one of the grand examples of it. But all of that kind of carries out over time. So, I mean, just go watch Citizen Kane to understand why that movie was so insightful and so important is that it basically lays bare the motivations of journalism at that time. When you struck it big, you struck it really big. If you didn't, your fortunes were, you know, essentially squandered. It was a great way for billionaires to lose money. That's pretty much journalism all the way up until we get to that period where you've got corporations, you've got broadcast, you've got major radio stations, you've got major publications that were wealthy enough that they did not have to worry about corporate interests but they still towed the party line when it came to the state-sponsored narratives until Watergate blew it open. What Watergate did for journalism and for democracy cannot be overstated because it essentially showed that there was an appetite to consume information that was the counter-narrative to what the government was trying to sell us. So Nixon winds up in the crosshairs, he winds up getting ousted, and every other publication in the world all of a sudden said, not only are we now not the, you know, uh, sort of the the outcasts of society, because journalists really weren't, you know, seen in a favorable light up until that point. If you go back and look at any of the old Hollywood interpretations of of what a journalist is, they're not that flattering. So now journalists are suddenly these ragtag group of superheroes that can bring down a government. That gave a lot of credibility and credence to the field. That matched with the fact that they didn't have to care about their corporate donors, turned these newspapers and these reporting outlets into these super sleuths that did great work for a brief period of time. So you get the Seymour Hearses of the world and you get all of these you get that, you know, that, that Newsday series on the heroin trail and all of this stuff through the 70s that was absolutely astounding. Reporting that is very hard to match. We have reporting like that now, but it is so small and it's independent. And we've talked about some of the independent outlets that do that type of reporting, and it takes years to get it done. They're typically funded just enough to get the reporting done, but not funded enough to get it out there. It's my long way of saying that there are only a couple of models. The for-profit model worked the best at that moment in time. In this moment in time, the member-supported model is still, I think, superior to anything that you get from the corporate state. But what I would say is if it, it is now, the, the, the genie is so far out of the bottle that it is incumbent upon the consumer to discern which information is the best and where. That's why we kicked off this year as to, you know, which media outlets can you trust? And I think if you're going to be an active 
conscious consumer of news and information, you have to begin to cultivate your own list of sources and information and people that you trust in this space that are doing the right thing and then, you know, gather your facts from them. I think it's too late to battle the corporate state in terms of media until we have taken over the system enough to be able to put some controls in place and separate these companies. And I'm talking about the social media platforms and the big media outlets as well. Uh, so, you know, coming at that from an antitrust perspective, but that's the long game. So right now it's about looking for the best sources. I'm still a fan of listening to NPR for all of the slice of life type of features that they do. I think they do, you know, have unbelievable podcasts. I think they've got great investigative journalists, but I don't necessarily trust some of their corporate narratives uh, on, on foreign affairs. I don't trust the New York Times for foreign correspondence as well. I think there's better places to get that. But am I going to look to the New York Times for anything podcast that's breaking recommendations. podcast recommendations like us? Yeah. You know, anything domestic, cultural, uh, the arts, that kind of stuff. I, I it's it's really valuable and you know like it, we live in new york so we get that um, um healthier diet of uh new york information that i think is a cut above anywhere else we're gonna get it certainly i gotta get it from the post at the daily news or what have you so um i think it's it's on us now as the consumer uh and i would be curious to see what your uh what this competing podcast has to say about any of that mm -hmm. now next email just it, keep them on I, but then I can't see you and I can't see the screen and yeah, I'm up and I'm down and I'm that person that looks over. I know I'm very noisy. My ground on my table. Next email is from Bobby McD. I can understand wanting to be rich, but not wanting to hoard more money than one can reasonably spend in a lifetime or sometimes dozens of lifetimes. The way the ultra rich hoard money and seal it in a perpetual generational wealth is absurd and deflating. As Walter said in The Big Lebowski, those fucks those rich fucks. I agree. So that's about our Tax Haven episode as well. And thank you for chiming in, Bobby McD. I think Bobby is taking a trip or just took a trip as of this recording. So let us know how it was. We had fun. I heard you try to start that with a slight Irish accent. Maybe it was subconscious, but you did. Probably subconscious. I don't think I... Because... It didn't you last me over long. The coals. So that's why I laughed. I it, can understand. There was, yeah. Did I say that? I can understand. Started. Yeah. Well, I like to put myself in Bobby's shoes and, you know, try to channel him as best I can. Mm. But um, I, I don't want my imitation to be unflattering to me or him. It would just be to you. Probably. Well, Sherman D, again, he sums up our. Sorry, I assumed. Sherman D sums up. Our feelings, but I said his not there right. um, from our tax haven episode. So, one of the problems besides fairness, inequality, and greed that I have that I have with not taxing the rich is, as you said, their capital grows exponentially faster than any of us could ever dream. What could you do with all that extra money? Many. Many. Many, I, many. I guess many, I'm, many. I'm just like rusty. Mine, mine, mine. I don't know what's wrong with me today. Uh, I don't know. Maybe buy Twitter and burn it to the ground. Yay. Or you could literally buy a Supreme Court justice who is appointed for life. How is no one talking about that? Lastly, you could lobby policymakers after you've bought them, feed them legislation that keeps you from having to pay fair wages, having to pay fair wages, keep tax loopholes, and put all the tax burden on the lower and middle classes. That is essentially the sum takeaway from uh, that episode. Instead of looking at the fairness issue, looking at actually how that type of influence changes our lives, our daily lives, impacts our daily lives and changes uh, democracy as we know it. The one thing that I hope kind of resonated in that episode is this idea of 
exponential capital growth. So I hope I explained that well enough. The fact that that amount of money every year gets added back. So I think it was, we said it was 30 plus billion dollars that accrues. I mean, it, so much faster than everybody else's wealth. It, it's an exponential compounding of their wealth. That's also part of the un, unfairness you know, of it all. But what they're able to do to leverage that money is just absolutely ridiculous. So Sherman, thank you for summing that up. We appreciate that. Now over on the Facebooks, Knudsen said, might be a good time to see if Tom McGovern will return your calls. Ask if he can do a version of Sonic Reducer for 99's need for a producer rhyme. Mm, I don't know that song. Me neither. I linked it. I think it said it was by Dead Boys. Oh, Dead Boys. Classic. I have no idea who I that is. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well. I think I'm going to go to a concert. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Mm. I can't say. Why? I have a band like you have a band. I haven't seen them. I've only seen them maybe 15 times, but. The band? Like the one, not the band, but like your band of like where all your friends. Yeah. They're playing. Yeah. I thought they only play like once a year. Uh, they've kind of gotten back together and now they're doing it a lot, but nice. you know. I'm gonna, I have to sneeze. Mm-hmm. Bless you. I think that was it. I don't know. No, there might be. I, I think I'm good. I okay. think I can hold it in. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I'm gonna go to a show. Good for you. Yeah, kind of nervous about it. It's gonna be fine. I've gone to like 30 already. Okay. Wear a mask. I don't think I'm gonna. Oh, okay. I wear a mask still. You do? Yeah, but I'm usually the only one. Yeah. I just like it. There's mm-hmm. too many people. And so many people, that's what, yeah. It's not even COVID at this point. I mean, it's partially, but like, I just don't want your gross germs near me. So. I'm down. I'm still wearing it on the plane. I will never not. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. I wear I wear it most places. If I'm running in to grab my coffee, I won't put it on. If I know, like if I've mobile ordered and I know I'm going to be in there for less than a minute, mm-hmm. I'll just, I'll raw dog it. <laughs> <laughs> um, But. Did not just say that. Oh, yeah. I've been <laughs> saying it for three years now. Raw dog it. But otherwise, I wear it almost everywhere. Okay. Uh, this one, how about uh, some comments over on YouTube that I can't read? Sure. So I underscore create underscore you. So I suppose this is God? Question mark. Perhaps. She said, responding to a vid version of prosperity doctrine. Ah, uh, yes. Good stuff. Keep it up. Between their forbidding contraception in the 90s and their calls for killing of LGBTQ people in the last 20 years, Christianity is nothing short of a public health problem in Africa. Given that religion is losing ground fast in Western countries, American fundamentalists and other religious zealots have concentrated their efforts on the African continent, leading to disastrous consequences. So uh, was that just something that we covered in the newsletter? I don't know. You're the one who said you put it in the newsletter. Like we're covering it on the pod on the on. Well, first you said podcast. And I said, what are you talking about? Then you said YouTube. So I don't know. Did you post something on YouTube? I'm just about trying it? to think if the podcast listeners would have. Well, we covered the prosperity doctrine. It was like episode eight. Right. Um, so I think I think how this all came about. One of the reasons I wanted to refresh the prosperity doctrine uh, episode for YouTube is because there was recent reporting about how the legislature in Uganda just passed some updated and even more gruesome and horrific anti, anti-LGBTQ, anti but specifically in, in their vernacular, anti-homosexual laws where they are essentially allowed to put anyone who's helping to harbor 
homosexuals in Uganda to death. I don't really death, say that. But that's what the legislation reads. So I'm just, I'm just, trying to paraphrase so that it, that I'm specific about the legislation or I'm trying to, to be specific about that. But it's essentially, uh, you know, anti-LGBTQ legislation that allows anybody who's supportive of it and anybody who identifies as that where they could just kill them. They could just murder them. But what was missing from the reporting and the pieces that I saw was the context that the, the, these are ideas that were exported from the United States, specifically by Senator Jim Inhofe, as the titular head, legislative head of the so-called family, which you know we covered in The Prosperity Doctrine, and is one of the formative books that I have on the shelf here from Jeff Charlotte called The Family and his follow-up, The C Street, uh, talking about the secret cabal of fundamentalists that have basically been influencing uh, government policy for the last number of years last number of decades. The story of it originally started when the family, which is the essentially the group that organizes the National Prayer Breakfast, figured out that they had pretty much lost the culture war in the United States. And it was too far gone because the the great acceptance of alternative lifestyles in their mindset to whatever was the norm, but, you know, of the very a man and a woman, uh, so the only two genders, only a man and a woman can get married. You have to be married. All of those classic Christian, you know, Puritan values that we were built on in this country. So they thought they had lost the war, but there was there were new grounds, new fertile grounds, because Christianity was very much rooted in some of the countries in African cultures. And they decided to go on missions, like literal missions paid for by the government under the auspices of talking about opening trade negotiations in this to specifically infect the body politic of certain African nations to pass these laws. They didn't come up with them. They didn't write them. We did. And Wait, we exported it. We, they were Christian before we got there. Some of them were. Yeah. From where? Where did that? Didn't... Oh, I mean, all over the world. You know, there were like is it, Christian enclaves in Egypt and that spread all the way down. I mean, but did it not just like all span from missionary like like missionaries but like, not necessarily from the united states there were missionaries from all over the world i guess but there were, i feel like there were like mostly white missionaries going to like countries of people of color no yeah so oh yeah definitely white missionaries not but not specifically american all the time i'm just That's lumping white people in together yes, yes going yes. and spreading our bullshit mm -hmm. to other people thinking we're superior we really did the best job at it though as per usual Go we're the best at whites. It. Go white Americans. No, I'm just saying go, go whites. Well, we we did it. The white Americans did it better than all the other white America. European attempts. We love you. You know that song by Eminem? Eminem. White yeah. America? Mm -hmm. So, sorry. It's okay. You, you said it. I'm I not going to not say it. So, anyway, that was missing from a lot of the reporting is the fact that this was, I mean, <laughs> it was, I think Inhofe led, if I'm remembering the number I quoted, it was 22 government state-sponsored missions to Uganda alone. So this stuff didn't just fucking happen. We made it happen over there. Yeah, and then absurd. we tell our high school kids that they should go do it and put it on their college resumes. That's right. That's right. Be a missionary. Yeah, go. Why don't you go help them? They need our help. It's like the the um, the Canada Land podcast that, we, that I talked about, like, two years ago the white well, i think it was called white savior mm -hmm. where yeah. those people those brothers with the we charity just mm -hmm. like 
it was a huge scam. I wonder where they're at these days. I think he's still trying to sue Jesse. <laughs> like, I swear. He just, yeah. They're still like, you did this, blah, blah, blah. Mm. How dare you? It's, yeah. They have their it's little minions. All right, moving on here. We've got Jared F. responding to affirmative action. Said, surprisingly, as a jurist, Powell wasn't as extremely awful as he was in other aspects of his life and career. Yes, the funny thing about Powell is he did have some very, I don't want to say very, he did have, he sided with the liberal wing more than anyone would have anticipated. That's a that's the interesting thing. I think Kennedy replaced Powell. I think, I think Anthony Kennedy replaced Powell. Don't quote me on that either, but it tends to be, it can be surprising how a jurist evolves over their tenure and career. In the case of a Clarence Thomas, not surprising. We pretty much got what we paid for there. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, not always the liberal darling that she is portrayed as, uh, but definitely more liberal than than not. Uh, Anthony Kennedy, you never knew what you were going to get. Roberts, kind of don't know what you're going to get sometimes. Uh, it wasn't until this. Well, I shouldn't say that. So there have been there have been parts in Supreme Court history when people behaved in the way that they were absolutely intended to behave when they were selected for that particular purpose. And it was before they, the Supreme Court had really taken on sort of this this aura of, of independence and, and total uh, supremacy. It was a much more political body, I think, for most of its history up until, let's say, uh, just before the FDR era. That's my understanding of it, at least not a constitutional scholar. But at least we could say in the modern era, jurists have kind of disproven that theory that they're going to be the person that they were during their confirmation interviews until the Trump appointees. These ones are so bought and paid for. And what Leonard Leo from the Federalist Society has been able to cultivate, like it's like indoctrinate, cultivate, select, and then place them there. And they just are, and they're getting... I mean, more staunchly right wing as they go. I don't think anybody even knew how absurdly right wing Alito would be during his tenure as well. So if that'll be probably our principal argument for no matter how you feel about, you know, casting some sort of objection vote during the uh, the next presidential election, if we don't all come out for whomever the Democratic nominee is, we are just resigning ourselves to yet another generation after that. Hopefully, by, hopefully Biden outlives Thomas and Alito and, uh, you know, because we've got a pretty young court right now, you know, compared to, to prior iterations of it. So anyway, uh, and Dan M., uh, who we heard from before, is crossing over platforms, left us a comment on YouTube responding to the Dan H. Oh, that was oh, I thought they were both Dan M. Nope. Apologies. Dan M. Responding to the Tax Havens episode. In addition to tax advantage, it strikes me as capital flight and part of an effort to turn U.S. states into competitive, deregulated, libertarian economic zones. Yes. So we're talking about dynasty trusts and the fact that they're popping up in all of these random states. I think one of the links that I included in that episode, by the way, is a documentary about the registered agents for these dynasty trusts. And one of them that had something like, I don't know, 26,000 trusts registered to it was a, like a place 
deep in Utah. And they, so they were like, I don't know what this place is. And they went there and it was literally a, uh, a double wide trailer sitting in a, an empty lot. And it was just like an, a, a, an old woman that lived there. And that was the registered agent office for all of these, these trusts. And she just gets paid, obviously not putting much money into the house. And I'm not sure where her other house might be, but. Well, hey, maybe there was, maybe she had a very nice trailer. No, it wasn't. You could see it. Fine. Yeah. Just very, saying. very run down. You know, you can if have it nice... was nice, I would have said. Okay. This beautiful trailer in the middle of nowhere. Fine. But no. Uh, anyway, Dan M continues. This is a race to the bottom where the citizens of the USA will be the biggest losers as states slit each other's throats in an effort to woo capital back and the effects of late stage capitalism comes home. Here, here. I'm going to leave that with you. All right. Let's get over to coffee donations and uh, then we'll get out of here. So Specker bought four coffees, two for 99 show notes takeover Ooh. and two for Manny's input. I needed to unclench and this quick show notes was a bomb for me. Missed you, Max, of course, but they really landed it for me while you were away. Yes, they did. That was wonderful. Really? You liked my I did. incoherent rambling? It wasn't incoherent at all. That's because I cut out the incoherent parts. Oh, okay. Well, you're talking to the master of incoherence. I was and just rambling, like so. talking at myself and I'd be like, "What? what's happening? I don't know. And I would just delete it and keep going. <laughs> I was just sitting in my bed. It was like fucking dystopia. That's it. Our next studio. We should just build it out with giant beds. Right? Mm. It's you, you get too comfy. Mm. And I had my microphone on my nightstand. Like, so, you know, if we get them, like, I guess, like bolted to the wall on like oh, a yeah. swivel. Yeah. It'd be kind of nice. Well, we need more coffee donations to pay for that studio. Uh, Dita K bought three coffees. I was going to propose these coffees for Max to share with Max Scherzer the master of the pitch clock. But then my eye caught the Mohawk language story in the New York Times of 423, university level language skills in two years. I don't know what one has to do with the other. So I will accept those on behalf of both the Mets and the Mohawks. Really quick story. I tried to learn a little bit of Mohawk when I used to volunteer on a Mohawk community. And uh, the only you know, because I'm just a, uh, a shitheel capitalist from uh, America. The only word I remember is huista, which is money. So, wow. yeah, no, I suck. Uh, but well done. I found it very, very difficult. And the older my brain gets, it's the, the more impossible it is for me to uh, to learn any sort of new language, let alone the English one. Well, yes, as we can see. Well, the Ugandan bought three coffees. Max, 99 and Manny Faces, thank you as always for being uh, that's awesome. Uh, is it Gillian or Jillian? Um, I think Jillian. Okay, Jillian LK is now a member. Always inspired and educated by you. Thank you for your membership and thank you to everybody else for the donations. And if it's Gillian, I'm sorry. There are Gillians, but there are also Jillians with a G. So last, is this our last one? No, yeah, last donation. The younger PDX Squatch is now a member. Amazing. I found you in FTR a few months ago and just caught up on the archive last week. I think I've learned more in the past two months than a decade of talking news and politics with my very informed dad, PDX Squatch, and more than half a decade of daily listening to TYT, Pitchfork, and The Majority Report, and other progressive news and politics podcasts. Also, I'd love a Spotify playlist of Tom McGovern's UNFTR songs, and yo, fuck Milton Friedman has become part of my regular family vernacular. Love it. P.S. The irony of praising you for raising the level of discourse and then almost immediately saying fuck a whole bunch of people is not lost on me. And that's UNFTR yeah. encapsulated. Well done. Younger PDX Squatch. Want to hang with your family. Their family sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. Love it. 
Uh, and as we said, we had a review and it is from Bob the Bubble Lorry. <laughs> okay. This podcast is a way of filling in the gaps of whatever they cover, mostly socioeconomic issues. While our American education may give us broad strokes, UNFTR gets into the why and how of things. Jump on in to find out why unfuckers say hashtag FMF, hashtag FRR, hashtag all hail Netty, and find the at all. Max 99 and Manny Faces put out fantabulous content. Give a listen, then become an unfucker today. Another commercial. Just unbelievable. Yeah. Thank you, Bob the Bubble Lori. We appreciate that. And with that, I think we're out. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. We'll look out for that essay this weekend. Hopefully it's uh, coherent and hits the mark and accomplishes what I was planning it to accomplish. We'll see. Uh, if it sucks, then we'll go back to our regular scheduled programming. Uh, in between, we got a couple of YouTube video drops. Sign up for that newsletter if you haven't done it already. Become a member. Buy our fucking coffee because it supports good stuff all around. And at some point, daddy needs a new pair of shoes. And by a new pair of shoes, I mean a studio. We got 20 months left on this lease, and then we need to figure out where the hell we're going. 20 months still feels really long. It does, but it's also going to go by then in the blink of an eye. I know, but... Max is going to get a place and it's going to be further from my house now and I can barely make it here as it is. That's not necessarily true. Okay. Could be true. It's going it's to be true. true. I know you. Please. Of course it is. How far, How long does it take you to get to my basement? To your basement? <laughs> uh, 15 Same time minutes. Maybe a little further. Is it? You think? I mean, I've never done the drive directly from my apartment. You're just going to have to move in with us. I think that's the only answer. Yes, I left my parents be, home to move in with my yep, boss. It would be Max all day, UNFTR all night. It'd be great, right? I, on, I think I'm the harder one to live with. You? I guarantee it. You guarantee it? I mean, I'll just be in my room a lot. Okay, I'm never around. Do I have a room? That's perfect. Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay, totally. My living in the basement. No, no, no. Well, I mean, that would be the goal, right? Just to live in the podcast studio. Pretty great. Like Mr. Your, Beast. Your goal. <laughs> All right, everybody. Catch you when we catch you. Thanks. See ya. Bye. That was the end. That was the end. This is the end. This is the end. Beautiful friend. The end. Deck the halls with bows of donuts. Real customers are telling you why their holidays run on Dunkin'. All I want for Christmas is a Dunkin' Peppermint Dunkachino. With the Dunkin' app, I can order and pay on my smartphone, so my coffee's waiting for me when I walk in. I love Dunkin', guys. <laughs> what are you talking about? Where else can I get breakfast and the perfect stocking stuffer? You want to talk real customers? Kid, that's me. I'm like the mayor of Dunkin's. This is the face of Dunkin' Donuts right here. Hey, you can't smoke I'm, in here, man. I'm not, Mark. I'm not smoking You're in smoking here. You're smoking in here. It's outside. I'm just... Yeah, I come down to Dunkin' every day. Grab a Corolla, have an extra large, three parliaments, take a big dump. That's kind of the routine. I'm going to seat right over there. This douchebag will move when I'm ready. And with Dunkin' Rewards app, there's even more reason to celebrate the season. Yo, free coffee! I got the big one! I got a free coffee right there on the app. Show and tell or something? Huh? With a little show and tell, Dunkin' Nuts. Show that, mama. Just a season for holiday drinks. Like right, never mini. mind that. Hey, interview my buddy Dewey for the movie right here. Dewey, tell me your favorite donut is. No, I don't want to be in there. Come on, pal. It's a movie. Tell me what your favorite is. How you like the uh, vanilla nut taps? What? The vanilla nut taps. Oh! Don't! <laughs> don't! It's a joke! Oh, shit! <laughs> For God's sake! Good, great, Tony! Oh yeah, go outside! 
best part of my day is when I'm at Dunkin'. Think that's sad? Yes, very. Real customers know the holidays run on Dunkin'. <laughs> Go back to Starbucks. <laughs>